Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why running after something which already exists? Why running after stories which are already there? Uh, why we try to occupy the space uh, with new products? And it's always a, a question that every designer asks himself. And it's, it's a lie to say that we don't think about that. And it's a very strong responsibility every time you design a new product. Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Devers. I'm Jamie Derringer, and this is Clever. And today we're talking to Noe Duchefort Laurence. He's a designer of furniture, interiors, product, and sculpture. Born and raised in France, he now lives in Lisbon, Portugal, where he maintains his studio and is connecting with the heritage crafts of the area. His career was launched when he worked on the design of the now-famous restaurant Sketch in London. Since then, he's completed a dazzling portfolio of projects with illustrious clients such as Hermes, Saint-Louis, Bernhardt Design, and Ligne Rosé. And he's deeply committed to making work that speaks from a place of truth. Let's hear it from Noe. My name is Noé Duchefort-Lawrence. I am a designer, furniture designer, and interior architect. And I'm living now in Lisbon, but I still have a studio in Paris. I'm doing this because I don't know what I could do uh, else than this. Actually, I do that since many years, and I don't want to do anything else. <laughs> Never, never gave yourself any other options because it just didn't feel right, huh? I did actually when I was younger, but that was a that's a, another story. Oh well, that's yeah. actually right where we're going to start. So <laughs> tell us all about your childhood and your home, the hometown you grew up in, what your family dynamic was like, and what kinds of things were you interested in as a child. I'm born in south of France. Uh, my father was, wanted to be a sculptor and he moved. Uh, he was a polytechnician doing this school, which is polytechnic, quite high school in uh, France, very renowned school. And, uh, but it was during the 70s and there were all these hippie uh, movements in France. He had a car accident in Aveyron, which is a, a very nice area in south of France. Just before that, actually, he met my mother who was doing some pancakes in the Alps. And, uh, but she was also an art teacher. So you can imagine this kind of uh, environment that were around these two people. And he had this car accident, which was not bad, but the, the car was broken. And finally, he decided to buy a house there because there were a kind of community of artists and hippies and people like that just nearby and he said oh, i love this place and i love this environment so i want to stay there and i want to do sculpture so he quit the school and been there for for uh, doing some sculpture but and he bring my mother after uh, there mm -hmm. and unfortunately uh, life has been harder than than what he expected and perhaps he knew that but he, he passed away one and a half year after having me there and uh, so I didn't know my father, basically. But I always had uh, the feeling that I had to continue a story that he began. That's what I did after. So I grew up in uh, Paris for a few years, five years. And then my mother met my stepfather, uh, an English guy, fantastic man. And uh, we moved to Brittany, which was mm -hmm. more in the middle between France and Great Britain. And I grew up in uh, north of Brittany, in Finisterre, North, which is a beautiful area, very wide, beautiful coast. 
And I grew up there during uh, 11 years. And it was super boring because I was coming from Paris and I didn't have any friends and uh, I was going with my bicycle. So that was basically what I was doing all day long. It was running around in, in, on, along the coast and it was beautiful. But when you're a child, you want to just to have friends and do something, go to, to see some things and go to look at the TV or whatever. I didn't have any TV. I didn't have all of that. So I had to create a world in my mind and in my head, basically. And uh, that's what I did. And I think that's perhaps helped me to have some ideas, create some things. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I did with everything, like with the uh, small uh, toys, with uh, some minerals in the garden, whatever. I was doing, always trying to invent something. I can't say I was very creative, but you have to create your own environment because when you don't have really what you like the, the things that all the kids can have you know in cities basically uh, you don't have that in, in countryside so you invent something else then i was super impressed by uh, the movies actors and i don't i and i think when i was very young i wanted to be um, an actor but not an actor i wanted to be a star movie star actually yeah. I, mm -hmm. not, and, and I, I didn't want to to wait for to be a movie star I thought I okay I want to be a movie star that's it so I wanted to begin with this I did some theater school at school when I was young and I and I was like a, the first role of the theater um, like a show and uh, mm -hmm. and it was super successful and so I was quite motivated about that and then the girl who was managing this uh, told me but you know, you can't be a star like this. You have to first go step by step. And then perhaps one day, if you're lucky, if many things are going online, you can be a star. And I said, oh, I have to do all this job to do, all this work to go there. So I finally quit out. I said, oh, no, it's too hard. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sketching and was drawing a lot at this time or so, at this period. It was uh, when I was uh, 12 or 13 I didn't have access to design. Uh, there were only one of my uncle in Paris who had a beautiful collection of uh, Art Nouveau uh, style furniture and Bugatti sculptures from, uh, you know, there were like, the father was doing furniture actually and two sons who were doing sculpture and there were one or so designer. And he had some, some of these pieces, beautiful, beautiful ones. This is an uncle, uncle of yours that exposed you to design as a, yeah, I, as a profession? Yeah, showing that that's it. These are nouveau and art deco uh, 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 elements, which I didn't know at this time, but I, I discovered through him. And then I had only access to design through a catalog of sales when you receive that to your home and you select objects on the catalog. And there were one famous one, which is called the uh, Trois Suisses, I think. And it was Philippe Stark uh, who designed something mm. for this one. And I saw the mm -hmm. first piece of design in this catalog. And then I've been to Paris and then I saw a Café Coste, which was one of these first projects there. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, very impressed about the work of this guy. And I said, wow, I want to do that. And a few years later, my stepfather came with an article about another designer who was also artist and sculptor with Ronrad. So basically that was the two pillars of my first approach plus my uncle uh, environment so i didn't know anything else than this but i did i decided to do furniture design at this time when i was 13 and i've been to a special school in brest uh, in, in Brittany to do this and that's how i came to paris after for sculpture first because i wanted to touch the material i wanted to understand the shapes i wanted to also perhaps prolongate a bit the story of my father and then I've been to the furniture at Art Decorative School, trying to do some things which are useful, but also very sculptural. And uh, I can say that that's the first time, the first things I was doing were more sculptural than useful. Actually, they were not very practical. My first table was basically a kind of trampoline, like a, something you can chop on it. And it was a very strange object. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you grew up around art artists and you learned at a, a fairly young age about design and then kind of made that decision as a teenager to go ahead and pursue sculpture and furniture design. I think that a lot of the people that we've talked to on this podcast have said that they didn't really discover design until maybe they went to 
to look at colleges and discovered that they could you know, study industrial design or interior design, but didn't really get exposed to that. So I think you're pretty lucky at that age to have have been exposed to that and got started on that path pretty early. I've been lucky. And also, in another way, as I said, I don't know anything else than this now, not culturally, but uh, I don't know anything to do. I don't know. It's like if it was one life, you have to do one thing, one mission, and that's it. But there are so many Mm -hmm. ways to do it. So many fields to explore that it's a super vast and, and, and rich environment. So um, that's why I'm, I think I've been lucky in a way to, to discover that very young. It's true that it's thanks to my mother, actually, or my stepfather or people around me, like really uh, gave me the opportunity to do what I wanted to do. And uh, they, they were like uh, very open to this. So I, I've been lucky for that. Yeah. And also, to be honest, I wasn't good at school, so I, I, I needed a place where I was, I, I felt comfortable and more comfortable, and and I could do something because uh, I was a very bad, uh, I was very bad, not very bad, but not not so good at school. But I think that when you <laughs> study something that you really enjoy and you're excited about, it makes it so much easier to focus and excel in in that area. Yeah, totally agree. And I think that can come very early and people don't have to be afraid of that. When when you were in school, did you find anything especially challenging or did you learn anything else about yourself as a, a maker, a designer, um, an artist? I've, I think I worked so much when I was at school because I, I wasn't like a genius or I didn't have something in the hands like, uh, okay, you are very good and it's very easy for you after you can be. I had to work so much. And while I was working, I explored many different techniques and many different fields. But I knew that I wanted to go by through the sculpture and exploring the, the, the material, materiality of things with my hands. That was something I was convinced about. Then I discovered things step by step. And, but I didn't know exactly uh, where I was going. I had two things in my mind, sculpture and then furniture design. But then while mm-hmm. I was doing this, I was also exploring all the fields like uh, uh, graphic design and uh, more painting and things like that. So every time you explore something new, you go, oh, perhaps that's also what I want to do or picture or whatever. And so it's very open world. Mm. Way. Yes. But you add it all to the Petri dish and then you grow your projects from that composite of all that influence that you've put in there. Actually, the, the result of that is uh, at the end, it's a sum of these experience. Then you finally see that there is no uh, one way of doing things. You have many yeah. approaches to do things. Sometimes I felt that uh, even in my, my work through all these years, that I, I've been too much in this exploration, trying too much things, trying too much different environments also of products like uh, perfume design, furniture design, interior design, a bit of architecture. And many different environments of project, also like uh, different clients, uh, brands, uh, some some uh, some uh, private projects or big brands, small brands. Um, so everything is, is organic in a way. And and I was working like uh, in different lands with a, and I had to learn to walk in these lands actually every time. I couldn't come to say, okay, that's my suitcase and I open it and I have my toolkit inside and this is how how I'm working and that's it. If you want it, you take it. If you don't want it, you leave it. And that was a lot of designers do that actually. And I was impossible. Mm -hmm. For me, it was impossible, totally impossible because I didn't have any uh, tools. My tools were inside of me. It was my strong feelings if I feel comfortable or not, Uh, but that's it. Mm -hmm. Every time it was like an exploration. I still don't have a way to one way to do things, but I know exactly what I want to do. That's a different way. I'm wondering while you're in school studying sculpture and furniture design and you're filling yourself with all of these explorations and different areas of study, you you had mentioned earlier that you felt like you needed to continue the story of your father. I mean, now you're a man in school and you're continuing that story are you feeling in any way connected or disconnected from the memory of your father? Are you in touch with family and his history? Or are you finding that you have to kind of write your own narrative that's different from his? For a time, I thought that I was disconnected 
and I did my path. And then I'm coming back to some things which are really uh, connected to the environment I grew up, finally, like the basis, like more connecting with the human, less with the industry. Mm-hmm. All of that is the, the new period I'm, I'm now working on. And so I feel disconnected in a way that I'm not uh, copying and trying to mimic something existing, and uh, hopefully, actually. I discovered my own way of working and my own uh, personality inside of that. But then I, I really felt that everything that the parents and, and your environment try to give you when you're a child and you reject in a way for a long time, coming back after. So I yeah. feel that it's coming back now. Oh. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Clever is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. A recent episode took Brad to Venice, where he connected with Eve Ubelman, a partner whose company, Econem, has developed a game-changing technique for creating digital architectural models so comprehensive they've been dubbed twins. During the relative quiet of the pandemic, Eve and his team used drone-captured photography and powerful AI to create a full-scale digital twin of Venice, a city threatened by climate change and over-tourism. On Tools and Weapons, Eve tells Brad how he's using this incredible technology to help preserve some of the world's most endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail so they can be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay current on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Clever listeners, we're getting excited for New York Design Week in May. This year will be better than ever. ICFF, North America's leading platform for contemporary design, will take place from May 19th to the 21st at the Javits Center in New York City. I'll be there, and I'm excited to let you know how Clever is collaborating with ICFF for Launchpad at Wanted, formerly known as Wanted Design Manhattan, and the Emerging Designer Showcase. Launchpad is an international platform for emerging designers that introduces new concepts and showcases prototypes of furniture, home accessories, and lighting. It is the best place for manufacturers to meet new designers, discover fresh ideas, and potential products to develop. The best of Launchpad winners will be selected by a jury of renowned industry professionals led by yours truly and they will go on to be featured in another edition of the popular Emerging Designers Showcase. I'll be leading the Emerging Designers Showcase live on the talk's main stage, where the five Launchpad finalists will have a chance to present their projects to our esteemed panel of professionals. It's always a really good time. So mark your calendars for Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Both Launchpad and the Emerging Designer Showcase are presented with media partners Clever, that's us, and Design Milk, and with support from American Standard and Lumens. Visit icff.com to learn more and register to attend. Those are the letters icff.com. Come by and say hi. I would love to see you there. Support for Clever comes from Wix Studio. 
Instead of reading you another, let's be honest, boring ad script, Wix Studio just sent me this wild-looking Alice in Wonderland-themed website to scroll through and tell you about. So, whoa. This is not the web I'm used to. There's something called Mouse Parallax, which makes it feel like you can go deeper into the screen. And as I scroll down, it's like I'm falling down the rabbit hole. And things are moving in depth and perspective. Even my cursor has morphed into a glowing little orb. There are all these no-code animations that make this place feel organic and alive. And Alice is wearing some pretty cool shoes, by the way. Okay, I know I'm mixing up my narratives now, but we are definitely not in Kansas anymore. Your turn to go down the rabbit hole. Build your next web project on Wix Studio, the platform for agencies and enterprises. You've graduated, you've studied sculpture, furniture design, you've filled your toolkit with all of these uh, practices and modalities, but it's your strong feelings that are ultimately your compass. And I read that Sketch, which is a Michelin-starred restaurant in London with incredibly theatrical interiors, was one of your first big projects. Is that how you got started in the professional world? It happened because I, when I was in art decorative school, I fell in love with a woman she told me let's go from to morocco during one year and i was still doing my studies and i said yes that's a good idea so i said to my um, teachers that i had to go to morocco to discover the craft techniques in morocco and they laughed in a way but they say okay go if you want and you will come back in one year and i so i i, I went there and uh, we were living in a, in front of the sea uh, in a small uh, a tiny wooden house in front of the sea in Rabat, south of Rabat, a beach, which is there. I didn't do a lot of, of, of work at this time. I was more like exploring the beauty of the beach and the beauty of the wood I could collect there and trying to make some object with it. And so basically during, let's say, four or five months, I didn't do a lot there. I just, I was like more meditating. And, mm-hmm. uh, but discovering Morocco in a way also because I traveled a lot around. And then I met two persons there and they invited me to work on a project they were doing. And one of these guys was an interior designer in France and was doing like a lot of fancy uh, restaurants at this time in, in, in Paris. And he saw my drawings and he said, hey, you could do my drawings, like uh, do some sketches and do some 3D, not 3D at this time, it was like more like a, a renderings, a sketches. And I said, uh, yeah, that's interesting. It was for me like a job. One day I was coming, I, I came back to France. Actually, I came back with a baby. <laughs> so I was still a student and I had my first child, who's Luna, who's 22 mm-hmm. years old now. And uh, wow. she's actually now in art decorative school. The one she, she saw when she was a kid, because I was still going to school with, uh, when she was, when she born. Uh, so I was going with my little baby sometimes to the, to the courses. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then, then I was doing this work for this guy, I, uh, doing some sketches and giving some ideas on paper. And one day he told me, I have a big, huge project in, uh, with my friend Momo uh, from Muran Mazouz in London uh, and with other people. We are doing some, a bigger restaurant in center of London, blah, blah, blah. And it was the sketch. So he involved me, he took me to make this, uh, like uh, doing some design for this one. And that was my first professional experience. But then after a few months, they stopped the relation because they are like a battle between the two friends. And mm. I said, okay, Noe, I want you to come with me and to design some things for me, like for this restaurant and do the design like uh, independent for, for, for. So that's how I began my work, actually. And that's how I began my my, uh, my studio and everything. And I was alone and I was doing my... And this guy was super nice. He gave me the opportunity to make my project. Uh, I mean, the, the, the interior designer, uh, who is now not doing any more interior design. I think he's like lost, uh, but he's doing some, some other things. But he was super generous because he gave me the opportunity to do it. So I, I want to hear about the rest of your career because you, you kind of jump-started your career somewhat by accident working on a very big and, and famous project. You've been pretty prolific with all the different types of design work that you've done. 
I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the projects that you hold near and dear to your heart, or you felt, you know, you got the most learning from, or maybe the most recognition for, what are you most proud of? I think I was proud of the first furniture project I did for Chicote Collezioni, which was Manta uh, Furniture, which is a very organic and very uh, sculptural piece, really like if I was doing a sculpture, it took me two years to make it in a way with them because it was a long process. And there were only 20, pe- 20 pieces uh, made for, for this project, only 20 uh, units. Um, mm. So Chekoti was really the first real strong and very intense uh, project I was doing uh, in furniture. In interior design, I had sketch, but sketch was like a battle. It was crazy. I was thinking every time when I was doing this project that I could quit the interior design world. That wasn't for me. And I could go to, uh, to in the mountains to do some goat uh, cheese or whatever. I was like thinking, okay, let's do <laughs> that. That's not for me. That's not my business. It's world um but hopefully i'm quite resistant and i have been to the end but it was a very complex project because then even at the end nobody knew that i did part of it i didn't design all of it huh? it changed and uh-huh. it's and also it changed a lot since i've been it in Diamandavi, a lot of artists have been involved so it has been like, totally transformed i could say that there are only the eggs and the bar which is actually the shape i designed like 12 years ago even more than that Checoti Collection is one of my very important projects. Then I did Sandrance in Paris, which is a res- restaurant in Place de la Madeleine. It was a listed building made uh, by Louis, Louis Majorel. And I had uh, the chance to do uh, the design through Louis Majorel uh, furniture and environment. Um, this project has been changed since, but it was very successful when I did it because the chef also quit uh, his three star. And he moved to a, to a more simple way of doing his food. And uh, everybody was very impressed by this at this time because a chef was a, who had three stars during 20 years, quitted them uh, in one day. It was a very uh, intense moment in France. And I, I designed this restaurant. And then uh, another big project for me in interior design was um, Air France Lounge in Paris. That was my biggest uh, institutional uh, project, I would say, for a brand. Mm. Uh, and we developed a lot of things for them. And Mont Blanc Stars, uh, is, which is one of my latest uh, huge projects, uh, because it's 500 stores in the world. So I developed 15 stores, but I developed all the, the, the book for, for, for the architecture guy uh, for them. Ah, and that was the latest project I did for him. Uh, and before that, I did on the sort of Facebook uh, lounge, uh, headquarter lounge in, uh, in Paris, in a building that Facebook occupied, uh, which was a mix between sculpture and architecture. That's for the interior design, I would say, plus one private project, which is a, a ski house in the Alps. Oh, that must have been fun. Yeah, that was really interesting because the family was totally... Uh, respectful of what I was doing, very interesting people. And I think they came like uh, three times at the studio to try to to convince me to work for this project because I didn't want to work for private because I was afraid of working uh, for people who can change their mind and, you know, being too much involved in their intimacy. And I was like, oh, well, that's not for me. But finally, I had a very, uh, it was it was a very uh, strong, very good experience. One, one also very good uh, project was, uh, it's a small project, but it's a, uh, uh, an apartment, part of an apartment in police building for a friend of mine uh, in police building in uh, New York, in mm-hmm. Santa Street. And this famous building is, is super interesting as a, as a building in New York. It's also the, the apartment there was, a, uh, it's Annabelle Seldorf designed part of the apartment and I mm-hmm. designed another part. And it, it's also because it's a very good friend of mine and, and fantastic man that I was very happy to work on. Sometimes you can share a part of you, and that's what I like about this work. But I try to to stop interior design now, to focus more on furniture. And speaking about furniture, I spoke about Checo di Collection. Then I had some some other collaborations uh, with Ligne Rosé, very good relation in France uh, with uh, Michel Rosé. It was it's uh, still a very strong. Uh, connection with him but the biggest relation and biggest connection i ever had with uh with jerry edding uh from bernard design mm-hmm. jerry we we met like 
I would say more than 10 years ago. And uh, we had a very strong immediate uh, connection. Uh, we were thinking that we shouldn't do any more furniture. That was the base of our relation. So wait, you, you and Jerry founded your friendship on the idea of not doing any more furniture? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, explain, explain that to us. <laughs> yeah, that's how it began. There was too much furniture and we shouldn't do any more. That was the thing. <laughs> I love it. We're still thinking about that. We're still looking at things like this. Uh, mm -hmm. Why running after something which already exists? Why running after stories which are already there? Uh, why we try to occupy the space uh, with new products when there are already mm -hmm. many products? And it's always a, a question that every designer asks himself. And it's, it's a lie to say that we don't think about that. It's true that we think about it. And it's a very strong responsibility every time you design a new product. I believe it. It's it's your offspring, and you you don't want to add noise to a conversation if, unless you have something important to say, and and it needs to be heard. And you also don't want to put products out in the world that are just, I don't know, they sort of look cool, but they're kind of destructive. Like that's not the kind of child you'd want to raise. It's true. <laughs> and so, when you're contributing to the creation of something new that's going to populate a landscape where a lot of things have already been said and defined and understood. Yeah, it's a it's a deep responsibility to to think about what am I adding to this that makes it better and not just more populated. It's true, but when you think intellectually, we can say that okay, if I analyze the life of the product, if I analyze the needs of the people, if I analyze uh, every subject which is related to industry of design, uh, how can I do something different and, and more interesting? But if that's if you think about like, if you mentalize everything and you, you think like a, a little bit like a computer, you put all the ingredients inside and you try to do something. But when you think with your own soul, is totally different, and that's the other part because you have to control your 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 feelings, but you you also want to to share your feelings, and sometimes mm -hmm. you really have th some things to say. That's again, I told you, it's the only expression, only the only transmitter that I found to 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 give something because that's the only thing I know to do actually. I could have gone through sculpture. Perhaps I will go one day some somehow. In, more in the abstract world, uh, but I still think really related to the use and the needs in a way, even if it's the on, not the only goal of my projects. I design less now. I can say that I design much less, even though I, I, I feel that I work two times more than before. <laughs> it's always crazy. But uh, we have so many projects, so many products to, to design now, but it's, it's all our different and individual stories. And all are related to something which is really emotional uh, and rooted in my, in my background or if inside of a, of a relation I have with someone uh, saying, for example, if I design something with Jerry, uh, it will be because we have a conversation and discussion and exchange at the beginning. And it's always like, let's move this direction. Let's do this. And sometimes we fail. And if we fail and if Jerry thinks it won't be and to be honest, we have an example now. After two years of work together, he really think about, do we go, do we move forward or not for one product? Mm. So it's quite intense in terms of a investment in your, of yourself and your emotions mm -hmm. and your, the path is quite long. Saying that, it's true that I, I, I try to be as sharp as possible, as, as um, clear as possible in what I'm doing. I did a lot of mistakes. I will do perhaps more. But I try to uh, to be as honest as possible today in what I'm doing, and that's perhaps explain what uh, I'm doing now in Portugal. Well, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about your creative process because you talked about telling stories, and I mean your work certainly does that. Um, I think most design has a story of some sort or is originated from some sort of story. But I mean, you're bringing together all of these things like materials design, natural forms, fine craftsmanship, um, heritage. How do you formulate 
the ideas in your brain and how do all of those things come together? And do they come together before you even start a project? Or is it more about you learn along the way as you're working it out? How does it kind of come together? I would say that there are some things coming up with the time and they are like in the back of your mind and you have one or two ideas, but they are like floating somewhere. But it's uh, questions perhaps sometimes it's not even ideas. It's, uh, it's not like, oh, I have an idea. I, I really think this material is interesting. Or I love the work of uh, Henry Moore. Uh, why do I, I'm so touched about his, his sculpture and how can I transmit this? How could I see the incense of that in, 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 a, in a design or any, any kind of reference. Michael Eiser's work, work is fantastic. His work on stone and, and some, some brutality is beautiful, but also this abstraction and geometry. How can, and this could be interesting perhaps in the design environment, but that just feed yourself, like because you are traveling, you are going in to see exhibitions, you are open to art world or not art world, like also people you're speaking with and artisan you are meeting and some uh, simple object you are just uh, seeing in the street or wherever along the past. We know that that's part of the creative process. All of this randomly uh, putting uh, going in your brain and just uh, doing this big mixture of whatever it is. But at the end, it becomes creativity if you put go to, to the field of, of your emotions. Like one day you want to say something and you, the answer were prepared in a way in, your, in the back of your brain. Because when you start to, to, you start to sketch, then everything is easier because you just put on, on, on the table. So you want to do a table, you want to design a table or you want to design a chair because you think that could be interesting to rethink about the way that this organic shape around your body could be uh, fitted and how it could be simple, but also a little bit uh, more soft and, and, and subtle and more sensual than the one you saw already and how it could be uh, more connected to the body or, or to your emotions. So you've talked about you're all pulling from this emotional well that you have deep inside and you've talked about thinking with your soul and i'm wondering like do you have a strong attunement to your own like bodily responses does your does your body tell you when your emotions are resonating with something in the form of like goosebumps or a warm feeling and are you attuned to that and do you do you work with it yeah totally and, and I feel this when I'm, I'm sketching, actually, or when I'm drawing. Uh, everything is going through the drawing. The answer, when I feel that the object is good, is that when I feel something strong in my body. But I, mm. it's my only personal way of judging. Yeah. But in a way, when you, when you pay attention to how your body's reacting, then it's, it's a slight detachment from your analytical processing of everything. I mean, I'm the kind of person that can overthink something if I don't stop and check in with my body. But I always feel that my body is a kind of an accurate barometer to what I'm truly feeling. And like, for me, it's important not to be too analytical. I like I need to be both. It's funny, because it's true. Sometimes it's, it's you think that a hey, emotions are not driving everything like you have to be a little bit more uh, focused and I would say analytic in your way of working because otherwise you're just going to like a world of things which are basically under the name of feelings and that's not the way that you can drive everything all your life actually mm. but it's hard for me because I do a lot of this and every time I try to do everything through only the theory or the, 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 the analysis I just discover that it's not the right path it's coming along the path Emotions are related to a way of thinking and a way to analyze things. So both are combined together and I can't dissociate them. As soon as I try to just do something intellectual, I just fail. I don't know how to oh. do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> that makes not, sense. Not your skill set. It sounds like <laughs> you your gotta... process is pretty intuitive. And I'm, I'm actually interested in your sculpture background and how that plays into your creative process. Because you talked about feeling objects and then drawing. 
Are you using that sculptural background in your creative process? And, and if so, how? I do because the, the, actually I did only two years of sculpture at school. It was a freedom of thinking, of doing, of whatever you wanted in a way, in any scale you wanted. So this freedom really helped me to say there is no rules in a way. One of the things I really try to connect with is the freedom of creativity, which is really something which is very important for me. As soon as someone tried to take it out from me, I, I react very strongly. Um, it's too much, too important for me. This, uh, this freedom. And then I, I would say that sculpture helped me to, to be able to go uh, in any kind of environment. But I would say that I learned more than the process after, after this time, because basically when I was doing sculpture, I was doing metal sculpture, more, most of it, and some wood, but more mm -hmm. metal. I didn't get anything. Don't ask me to show you anything because I, uh, <laughs> I think it's a mess <laughs> somewhere. I have some pictures, but... And uh, it was quite aggressive and industrial and very strong, like very strange compared to what I'm doing now, much more soft. I discovered it's like if I was working only on the structure of things made of uh -huh. these wires and, and, and beams and structures. And then I, I discovered the skin above it. So I think that the design helped me to think about the skin and how things are, are visible from outside and uh, not where the technique is hidden in a way. Because I, mm. and that's the kind of design I, I do, not like uh, many other designers work only the, the technique is making actually uh, the shape. But the, the beauty of this moment was the fact that I, I discovered that you can do some mistake, you can you can fail, you can go up. It's never it's it's never the the wrong answer. Uh, there is no wrong answer. There is an answer, and then people would say if it's wrong or, or good. That is freedom, right? Knowing that there's no wrong answer, that gives you carte blanche for exploration and and for discovering what resonates with you. Usually if it if it's coming from someplace deep within your soul, it's going to resonate with someone because it feels honest and authentic and like a gift from a human, not just like something that's there to fix fix a problem. Yes, and I think we can fix problems through emotions. And mm -hmm. we need, and we Agreed. need, and we need emotions, and yeah. we need, we need, uh, we need these moments of sincerity, of uh, of truth, and this is only human related. It's not uh, the the science. Who, at the end, okay, we can say the science will save us, but uh, I think it's not true. Uh, the human uh, interaction will save us because that's the only way that things are connected together. Uh, if people don't think about the others, we, there is no future. So. At the end, I think this, yeah, it's important to to relate to to that. It's a little bit idealistic in a way, but um, and I feel a bit like a child sometimes to say this kind of sentence. It's like, hey, come on, man, we are forty five. You could think a bit differently, and you have more experience now. You could be like a like a man saying, okay, I have a way of thinking, and that's it's not true. Um, I'm still open to this kind of a environment of movement of, of beauty of things where there are like some exploration on the of the human language i still believe that there is beauty everywhere and we have to see it and we still have to discover a lot and and if i try to to through uh, through what i do uh, give a little bit of, of of what i feel is is nice or or, or what i feel could be interesting in terms of beauty or my way of looking at things I don't have the, again, I don't think that's, my answer will be the final one, just a part of a process and yes. part of an ecosystem. And that's it. That's why I think also it's interesting to say that your object at the end, when I look at my work, I say, come on, she did so many things, but what do we keep from that? And what we keep from that is that all this work is a little bit like looking like me. It's like it, it, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes a good man, sometimes a bad man, sometimes a good object, sometimes a good, bad object. And mm -hmm. I have to admit that it's true. And, but the thing is that every object has been made with others, with interaction, with uh, other people integrated in the process. And mm -hmm. that's the beauty of our, our work. It's like a teamwork. It's not something from coming from one person, even, even if it's, it looks egocentric at the beginning. Everything's going in a very vast environment after. And a lot of interaction going through this process. 
I want to bring it back to that again, because in the beginning of our conversation, you talked about um, continuing your your father's mission or life's work. Do you feel like you've done that or are doing that? Not in the purest way he did it, actually, because I was afraid of the art world. Art world is a, like a based zone where you can jump in and you can lose yourself. Uh, you have to mm-hmm. be very sure of your ego or what you want to say and your line, or you have to be ready to be lost. And that, mm. I wasn't prepared for that, actually. I needed to be uh, connected to reality. And reality is also what, what is around us, like uh, what is needed. And finally, it's easier to say, I'm going to design a chair than I'm going to, to do a piece of art. Mm. Because a piece of art mm-hmm. is like uh, what? For who? For yourself, for the others? What is the truth inside of that? What do you want to say? What's, uh, what? It's huge. Yes, it's huge. It's huge. So... No, I, I didn't continue his, his past because it was too radical. And uh, hopefully I didn't continue it because he was uh, also a lost soul in the world. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's important that I, I'm finally happy that I, I didn't go through this process. But in a way, it helped me. It was a seed for the kind of tree growing up. That's it. And I, it gave me really like this kind of movement that I needed at the beginning. But just the idea yeah. of the project... And again, I, I never, I never met him. Uh, I met him. I was uh, like one, one and a half year when he died. Mm. So I had to, to invent everything around, around him. Even if people were telling me things and they are still continuing to tell me things which are different. Now I hear different stories every time. The, the environment of, of his, of his image is still changing. I only knew that he was doing some, some very, he was really intense in everything he was doing. And he was really exploring very intensely everything he was doing. The, the sculptures uh, I have now, I have a few of them. He didn't do a lot because he, was, he did all this work in two years. Uh, the sculptures I, had, I have now are really an expression of what he was giving. It's like you feel the hand, you feel the gesture, you feel the, the pain. Yeah. And, and that's what I think is, is beautiful about the sculpture. I want to ask you, I mean, growing up not knowing your father, but having this rich imagination and some of these inputs to understand your father and, and the seed that was planted, how do you think that influences your fatherhood? Because you ha- you mentioned your first daughter, Luna. How many children do you have? Four. And do they know you better than you know your father, would you say? I, I would say yes, because I'm really connected to them, even though the, the last one has only five months. Um, oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, I'm, I'm, I feel like it's strange. My father wanted to be connected to a community, and, and I'm creating a community of kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's really strange how life is, is growing up. Like, uh, again, as I'm, my brain is not controlling everything, and it's more my feelings. Uh, it, it's exactly the same for what happened in my life, my personal life, I would say. So that's how I had four children with three different mothers. And everything is quite, even though there are like big movements and sometimes big storms in this life. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end, the beauty of it is that like, uh, there are like a strong, very strong uh, uh, between the, the sisters and brothers. Uh, they are all connected together, even if they are not living in the same cities or even in the same country. I, I still think that, uh, but I've been also educated through that. Like uh, my stepfather was my father, actually. And he told mm-hmm. me that uh, he would he will never have a, his own kid because he would never thought that it was important. Um, for him, the, 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 the link of the blood doesn't exist. And it was stronger to, to love someone who, and whoever he is at the end. So I think it's, uh, that's how uh, things are growing up with my kids. Uh, I'm really connected to them. They are, like, they are really important for me. Yeah, I try to give them a lot of time. And we organize a lot of uh, holidays together, time together, and connection. And it's, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly if I'm the right father, but I, I know that they are the right, uh, the right kids. 
<laughs> That's a beautiful thing to say. I don't think any parent can actually be the right parent, but the kids, the kids really can be the right kids. Exactly. I want to ask you about legacy because kids are a part of that, but also you're making objects that will outlast you um, as a human being. Are you thinking at all about legacy, both personally and professionally? Legacy is important because uh, it's something when you think about an object, uh, you think that it has to to stay for a long time because otherwise Mm -hmm. you just throw it away and it's just part of the garbage and it's not part of a life. Mm -hmm. It has to be damaged sometimes and repaired. It has to be, it has to, to leave and to be patinated. It has to, to accept, uh, to be, uh, uh, refixed sometimes. And that's a beauty of the, of the legacy in a way that at the end, it's an object with, which aged in the time. So when you think about that, when you design, it's changing your perception. And finally, legacy is also synonym to, of, uh, longevity and longevity to also, uh, eco-conception in a way because you try to think uh, of things which are going to to stay for long and Mm -hmm. that changed your way of of doing i try to to really to avoid anything which is not uh, resistant which is not good in terms of all the components inside it has to be something which is well done and when it's well done when you work for hermes or san louis or people like that or with a craftsman with artisan i'm working with now you really know that the object will age after you and it will stay. Um, it's a different perception. So yeah. then you think about what we are doing with your kids. I don't think that I really think about legacy for my kids when I'm designing. But uh, if I can tell them that everything I, I do, I try to do it with a maximum of truth uh, mm-hmm. and, and to be as, as honest as possible. Uh, I think that's the uh, the good legacy I can give to my kids. The rest, I don't know what they will do the, with the object I'm doing. Even like, uh, even I don't know, even if the the whatever furniture is uh, strong enough to resist for 200 years, I don't know if people will, will still want this one in 200 years. Uh, and I don't want to be able as because I'm not. I don't want to be seen as a person who think that his object will stay for 200 years, because it's not true. I don't know. Uh, perhaps yeah. in, in five years, nobody will want any more my, my stuff. And that's it. It's also, legacy is also part of a transmission, transmission of uh, techniques, of uh, knowledge. Of, yeah. Heritage. Heritage. Yeah, it's a, ve- it's, it's a vessel for heritage. Yeah. It's true. And that's what I, for sure, I'm really sensible to that when I'm working with artisans, when I'm working with a, a maison like uh, Hermès or Saint-Louis or even with a, a company like uh, Bernard. And it's true that there is all of this soul which I, I and all this uh, knowledge which I try to understand and to reconnect with the design. Um, so it's part of the process, yeah. I feel that when you are designing something and you have someone nearby you who knows more than you uh, and you are working with him or her, it's fantastic. You just learn more than what you give at the end. Yeah. And, uh, so <laughs> yeah, it's great. And, it's a real and you, gift. Yeah. yeah, it's a gift. And and your, and your object is uh, uh, full of this also at the end because you have this knowledge which is integrated in your creative process. Hmm. It's fantastic. So speaking of that, do you have a new project or something, a recent project that you want our listeners to know about that they can look up to check out your work? A uh, very important project now I'm doing is, is the one I'm doing in Portugal. Uh, I moved to Portugal, so I still have uh, my studio in Paris where we are designing a lot of products and some uh, exclusive products and also furniture, like the one we are doing for, for Ligne Rosé, Bernard, Saint-Louis, these brands. But I'm, I, I also thought that it was time for me to do something without uh, clients and doing something for myself. So it, Perhaps joining the idea of uh, being a little bit more an artist or doing uh, auto, like an entrepreneur, doing my own thing uh, mm-hmm. only by myself. And I'm actually exploring this country, this new country for me uh, through the craft. And I'm going basically around the country, finding some people doing, which are, which are not the best one in what they are doing, but they are they have something to say. They have very some some interesting stories or interesting moments in their creative, creative 
process or and I try to actually designing objects or furniture with them. And it's every time connected to a context, connected to a people, connected to a technique or a, a material in a different area of uh, Portugal. And I'm going to do a collection every th- that I'm, I will show in a space I will have in Lisbon. And uh, it will be from uh, January or February next year, depending on the timing. We are not still running after time. And I will show this every three months with a new collection. And that's very important for me because it's uh, the first time that I'm totally free. Nobody asked me to, be, to do that. It will be like a gallery, a creative lab. I'm going to invite some chef also to connect with the project we did because the object is not the final part of it. It's just a part of the process. Um, all the thing finally that I discovered through that is that uh, as soon as you touch something, you explore all the, the world and the environment around craft and uh, natural material, you finally inter- integrate, uh, interrogate the, the, the environment and uh, the su- sustainability of a project. And finally, I discovered that there are a lot of questions about environment which are coming through this process. And that's super interesting because all the things we are speaking about, there is not like always example to show it. Finally, I just saw that when you are connected to something very simple like agriculture, like things which are growing up or would you just speak about environment and finally all the questions we, we ask ourselves are, are there so yeah that, that's what i'm it will be a project which we launch next year so how can we keep track of this project will you be documenting the process um will we be able to see the products is, is social media or your website the best place for people who are not in in Portugal to be able to experience this? Yeah, sure. Uh, the first thing will be, it will be uh, presented in our gallery, but it will be also uh, on a website dedicated to this project. Actually, this project is called Made in Situ. Um, and there will be a link from my, from uh, my website uh, to this, to this uh, new project, new platform, I would say. It's more like a platform, actually. And... Um, and I would, yeah, on Instagram, I, I sometimes post some, some things about this exploration, even though I, I, I don't post so much now because I think it's uh, good to be a bit more calm on Instagram. People are spending too much time on this. <laughs> so, and yeah, that's what I'm, I think it will be the best way to look at this project will be uh, on the website of Made in Situ, which will be uh, launching, uh, I think, also beginning of next year. And for sure, uh, Instagram, we will have a special account for that, and uh, or just uh, contact uh, us through the through our website. And will you tell us the website URL real fast? Yeah, my website is noedishofolawrence.com, so it's my name okay. with .com. And if you write it well, which is very hard to do, you can access <laughs> <to> it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we'll you can include a link, it, then you can get there. Yes, <laughs> we will definitely include a link in the show notes and the description of this um, episode, so that people don't have to worry about the spelling. <laughs> yeah, and it will be funny because uh, as soon as you you just pass this first step, which is writing, then you have to explore the website, and the website is like a world by itself. You can play with the image you can move them you can hear some sounds see some videos but it's like a table you have all the things on the table and you just have to choose thank you for talking to us noe real quick before we let you go here's another reminder to check out finnish design shop for modern scandinavian designs and inspired gift ideas for your projects your friends or yourself head to finishdesignshop.com clever to shop their black friday deals Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. To see images of Noe's work and read the show notes, click the link in the details of this episode on your podcast app or go to cleverpodcast.com where you can also sign up for our newsletter. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Clever on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could do us a favor and rate and review, it really does help us. You can also connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can find us there at Clever Podcast. Clever is created, produced, and hosted by us, Amy Devers and Jamie Derringer, also known as 2VDE Media, with editing by Rich Straffolino and music by L1011. Clever is proudly distributed by Design Milk.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.